Welcome, listeners, to our review of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Hogwarts has been chosen to host a legendary event, the Triwizard Tournament. And now, the champion selection, Victor Crump, Fleur Delacour, Cedric Diggory. Harry Potter! How did you do I didn't put my name in that cup. I don't want eternal glory. So, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is a 2005 fantasy film directed by Mike Newell and based on J.K. Rowling's 2000 novel of the same name. The film follows Harry's fourth year at Hogwarts as he is chosen by the Goblet of Fire to compete in the Tri-Wizard Tournament. It is the first film of the series to receive a PG-13 certificate and, of course, stars Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint and Emma Watson, as well as the usual supporting roles, including some newcomers as David Tennant, Robert Pattinson, Brendan Gleeson and, of course, Ralph Fiennes as Lord Voldemort. His first appearance, Dean. Yeah, I mean, it's just like every movie, they up the ante with new cast members. It's incredible. I'm very curious to see who they've got for the next film after this. Would they have Elena Bottom Carnum in that one? Uh, that Yeah, that would be. That would be. Okay. I wasn't sure when she comes into the movies. So, no John Williams for this one. It's got music by Patrick Doyle here, who's been nominated two times for 1996's Hamlet and Sense and Sensibility. He also did the score for Thor and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, very good. Mm. John Williams actually passed on this as he was in favour of doing Memories of a Geisha, which he was nominated for that year as well. Bit of a forgettable film, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen it once really long time ago. Apparently, it's super, super long, isn't it? I'm pretty sure it is three hours. Ugh. Anyway, cinematography by Roger Pratt. We've already spoken about Roger Pratt previously. Alphonse Coran was offered to the chance to direct this installment of the franchise, but he declined as he was actually still working on post-production of The Prisoner of Azkaban. Really? Yes. Well, Prisoner of Azkaban was released the year prior, so they would have been filming this the year prior. The year prior, you say. Well, I guess it's a good thing that he said no because it gave us Children of Men. Yep, the timing fits there. Man, love Children of Men. Thank you, Alfonso Cuaron. But we get Mike Newell here who decided against the studio's original idea of adapting the extremely long book, apparently, into two separate movies that were going to be released several months apart. Yeah, he certainly Newell what he was doing. You were waiting for that, weren't you? Yeah, look at him. He's got his fist pump and he's loving it. <laughs> yeah, the book's huge. Like, uh, in comparison to 1, 2, and 3, it is... It's about basically three times the size. Like it is a massive departure from the nice, tidy, short books of the first three. He figured he could cut enough of the book's bulky subplot to make it one workable movie. It was actually Quaron who convinced him to take the take the movie on. I think he should have done this in two parts. I think we didn't need uh, eight Harry Potter movies. I think we needed like thirteen, fourteen. Let's just split all these movies up. Like no one has before. What was the first film that did it? Was it Harry Potter? Uh, I know Hunger Games did it. I know Breaking Dawn did it. But which was first? I think this was. Yeah. I mean, it's. uh, I bet they are kicking themselves they didn't think of this earlier. If they can make The Hobbit book into three movies, (laughs) they, they could have just kept this cash cow going. Do you reckon they could have made every film two parts? Because, well, the kids age too quickly. So that's probably the biggest issue. Well, not if they filmed each one every year and just filmed them all very early on in their careers and then just released them once a year for, what, 16 years? 
15 years, whatever it is. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> so Mike Newell only got a million dollars to direct this film, only a million dollars, whereas Chris Columbus actually received $10 million plus a percentage of the gross to direct just the first film. It's almost like one is an established director and one isn't. Do you know Mike Newell from anywhere? Why, do I, why would I ask that question? Why do I ask that question? I can't say I knew much of him. <laughs> Mike Newell actually directed Donnie Brasco. Good movie. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Yeah, very good movie. Ooh, and he followed up God, Lord of Fire with Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. I have, it's atrocious. But I hear it's quite shit. <laughs> Definitely, definitely shit. So when he first signed on to direct the film, Mike Newell explained that he wanted to try and make a Bollywood film. Now, what? The producers were quite sceptical at first what he meant. And he said, no, there's no singing and dancing, but all of all the films, Goblet of Fire would have the most colour. <laughs> I just I just, I just, want to recast the main actors with Indian <laughs> actors. <laughs> Shut up, you, and take your million dollars. <laughs> So, like I said before, we got Brendan Gleeson here as Mad Eye Moody. There was Ray Winston who hold was on, considered hold on, for the hold role. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What is Mad Eye Moody's first name, Hendo? Stop asking me first names of all these people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to know them. It is Alistair. Yep, good on him. Ray Winston, what do you reckon about that? Nah, I don't like Ray Winston. What about Billy Connolly? Are you joking? No, have you not seen uh, the Boondock Saints? Puts in the a serious performance when he God. To. I've seen that. Have you? Didn't see any traces of madness there. Actually, that's a lie. There was a fair bit of madness in that. There's there's a big, big uh, theme of te- uh, the teen prom in this one. Big segment of it in this film. Okay. Dare I ask? Dare I ask, Hendo? What is the teen prom in Harry Potter called? The Yule Ball. Shut up, mate. Come on. <laughs> Can you blame I, me, I, Hendo? I did watch the film, okay? I do have some idea. I mean, I question whether or not you've watched some of these oh, films. Just because I don't know the, the, the first names of some of these professors and these wizards. Can I Jesus. remind you that you thought Sirius Black was a werewolf? <laughs> what was he? <laughs> uh, uh, I've already forgotten. The uh, Am- Amagorg? Yeah, he was an Amagorg. Yeah, it's not like that. He was a dog. Ooh, that's a bit rough. <laughs> so Mike Newell originally decided to not have makeup on Ralph Fiennes to give him a more scary Voldemort, but he changed his mind after seeing the makeup design that Nick Duddham had made. And to compliment the makeup, Fiennes actually shaved his head as well as his armpits for the role. Oh, good. I was going to actually, I was going to comment on the lack of hair in Ralph Fiennes' armpits, but uh, I, I mean, we could bring it up now. No, we've already brought it up. I, I answered the question. Do you actually see his armpits? Are you sure when he raises his arms up to cast the wand? I'm pretty sure flowing the wand. You flog. I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure he has flowing robes that hide his armpits. Are we really talking about Voldemort's armpits right now? Why not? Why not indeed? They actually didn't use any makeup to cover his nose. They did digitally removed that. The makeup. The nose. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm actually surprised at that, I must say. I thought that would have been prosthetic. So as we look at to the start of this film here, this is the first film to not show the Dursleys, which are, you know, for me, that was fantastic. Big fan of the Quidditch World Cup, were you? Bigger fan of that than the Dursleys. Do you know why they didn't have the Dursley scenes in here? Because Dudley was too skinny? No, because they demanded more money, so they cut them. Really? Yeah. Huh. Huh, indeed. <laughs> I'm just trying to remember what Good the response. Dursleys... I'm trying to remember what the Dursleys do at the start of Goblet of Fire in the book, and... uh I don't remember it, so it can't be that important. I think I read that. Don't they? Aren't they the ones to take him to the Quidditch Cup? 
Oh yeah, the Muggles, the Dursleys, go to the magical Wizard World Cup. I read something that they had something to do with it. Listen to you. You're so condescending with because you're such a Harry Potter buff. You're like, oh yeah, of course. Somebody doesn't know so much about the Harry Potter lore. You're like, what a flog. This is why I hate doing this series with you. Right, I'm, I can't I'm, wait to do the James Bond series. Can you're you stop some of it. Can you stop interrupting me while I read Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> <laughs> Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Okay, just looking at it briefly, it doesn't seem like there's too much there. Basically, uh, the Weasleys are asking the uh, the Dursleys' permission to take Harry to the, the Wizard World Cup, and hijinks ensue. But it's it, I, I really don't think that uh, it would have amounted to much in the movie anyway. Anyway, this has one of the largest underwater sets ever constructed. Do you know where that point is, Dean? You're an idiot. <laughs> Had the capacity of uh, 500,000 litres of water it could hold. The, act- the actual largest underwater set ever constructed was for the Abyss, which could hold 26 million litres of water. Quite a big pretty step sure up. I'm pretty sure it's just called the Ocean, James Cameron. <laughs> 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 it doesn't count as your biggest set if you just rope off the ocean. <laughs> yeah, just barricade it off. Like, this is mine. You can't have it. <laughs> So those underwater scenes were shot in the big tank with the blue screen background. They had safety divers swimming in between takes with scuba regulators to allow the actors and the actresses to breathe without having to surface. Daniel Radcliffe alone apparently logged about 41 hours underwater during the course of filming it. At one point during the training, he accidentally signaled that he was drowning, sending the crew into a huge panic to bring him up to the surface. He actually got two ear infections during the filming as well. Poor guy. Man, after all that, that's what you got. I mean, you say so much. I was like, I was trying to make. And some, you say so little. I was trying to say something about the bends, but I couldn't. I couldn't fit it in. So here we are. Yes. <laughs> so the kids had about three weeks of dancing practice for the U-ball waltz. Radcliffe, however, had has almost every scene in this film, so he only had about four days to prepare for the dance. In several interviews, he said that the reason why his dancing is mainly shown from the waist up is because he had you know, a bit of a rough time getting the dance move done properly. But this premiered in London on the 6th of November in 2005 with a runtime of 157 minutes, 166 minutes for the extended version. I believe I watched the regular version. Did you watch the regular one? Uh, yes, I did. With a tagline of dark and difficult times lie ahead. I mean, it's better than the last one. That is a passable tagline. They're almost similar. No, they're not. Dark and difficult times lie ahead. Something wicked this way comes. They're so vague. Something wicked this way comes is is. Nothing. Is it because of the it wording? Is... Yes, it's because of the words. So of if the it said something line. wicked comes this way, would it be any better? Well, no, because something wicked comes this way. What does that even mean? What is that referring to in the third one? What about this one? Dark and difficult times lie ahead. That could that be is that's true. so vague. Dark and difficult. At least it's accurate. As vague as it is, yes, dark and difficult times do lay ahead. I'm interested to know which ones. $150 million budget for this one grossed $896 million. Uh, it's got back up there from the you know the poor $700 million the other one made. Yeah, no, definitely uh, the director knew what he was doing. That's your last one, all right? That's okay, your last that's, chance. That's three. I'm, I'm done. You off. <laughs> Nominated for one Academy Award for Best Art Direction, which it lost to Memoirs of a Gay Shot. And this has an average of 7.7 over 519,000 ratings, the second highest of the four films we've done so far. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, you did say the book is quite large compared to how much they managed to cram into this film. I'm curious to, to hear from you if that's a, a plus or a negative. Let's get into it, Dean. 
Thank you very much, listeners, for checking out this patron preview. Yeah, if you want to check out the whole episode, we've got everything over on at patreon.com slash themoviejourney. And we've got over 70 bonus episodes over there, including film series such as the Die Hard series, X-Men series, Mission Impossible series. We've also gone through some notable film directors such as Wes Anderson, Edgar Wright, and Quentin Tarantino. That's right. There's also tons of benefits over there. Early access to our main show, patron-only polls that we put out on the regular. Exactly. You can also shape the show the way you want it to be by telling us what films you would like us to break down. And Dean said it's spot on patreon.com slash the movie journey. Go ahead and head over there and check out all the rewards and benefits we have to offer. And we thank you once again for checking us out. Thanks, y'all. 